0: Dr. Hashem Sadat grew up in South Africa during apartheid. In search of a cure for his dysentery, Dr. Hashem travelled the world and immersed himself in the study of medicine. He studied gastroenterology in Ireland, the UK and the US, as well as more holistic homeopathic approach to healing in China. But after a conflict in the US, they shot him five times. he settled in Australia, and we are able to share his story. On this podcast Peace be upon you all Welcome to another Safi Bros podcast We have an amazing brother Dr Hashim here with us Uh, I'll get him inshallah to introduce himself Uh, uh, Mashallah he's got 50 years of experience In being a a doctor And uh, many many more Inshallah, we'll start with him introducing
1: himself. Assalamu mm. alaikum. Bismillah ar-Rahman Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ajma'in. Amen. Allahumma li sadri wa li amri wa min Amen. Amen. Okay. Yeah, my name is Dr. C- Hashim C- Uh I'm a physician, gastroenterologist. Gastroenterologist meaning I'm a stomach specialist. Alhamdulillah, it's... Uh, very good to be a stomach specialist because as you know, there's a hadith of Rasul sallallahu where he says that the stomach is the storehouse of every disease. Like. And uh, the hadith goes, baita That means the stomach is a storehouse of every disease. Like. So whatever sicknesses we suffer emerge from the stomach and the problems with the stomach. Subhan. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Basically, I I did my undergraduate training in Dublin, Ireland, at the Royal College of Surgeons and Physicians. And then after graduating from Dublin, I went to the United States to do my postgraduate studies in internal medicine and gastroenterology. And I graduated from there in 1978. And uh, along the journey, I've had some very inspiring teachers and some very good uh, influences. Yeah? Shalom, Shalom. So uh, basically uh, Going back I was born in South Africa In 1946 It's a long
0: time ago <laughs> Apartheid state I mean, and, Yeah under I grew apartheid up in state. South
1: Africa under apartheid Well at that time Apartheid became officially law In 1948 But uh, they were practicing apartheid Before that you know And uh, so growing up uh, in uh, Under apartheid was There was a lot of challenges. You know, we were not... uh, Basically, in South Africa, you might know that there were different classes of people. You know, there were the Europeans, and then there were the indigenous Africans, who were regarded as the lowest of the low, you know. And then in between, you had the mixture race, which was between the whites and the blacks with the colors. And we were from the subcontinent. So we were regarded... We were in the middle, you know. We were not... Mm. That as oppressed as say the uh, African indigenous Africans, but uh, growing up in South Africa was quite an experience for me because, you know, a lot of people have they have grown up in South Africa and they know okay we were under apartheid, but it was different for me because our house was located right across from the police station, and every day as a child we used to see the police bring in these. Uh, African, indigenous people, and really ill-treat them, humiliate them, humiliate them, brutally inflict them with injuries, you know, and as a child growing up with that, and confronted with that every day in your life, wow. it has an effect on you, you know, it so, does affect. So what's your earliest memory? How old were you, like, if you recall I mean, back? I'm talking about from zero till about 15, 16 years old. So you saw that every day? You saw it every day, I mean, We used to see the uh, police come in and they treat the africans so badly they whip them hit them you know yalla put them into lines like they're doing in uh, palestine at the moment you know so there's a there's a lot of parallels between apartheid in south africa and apartheid in israel you know so and uh, the blacks were so, I mean, humiliated. They had no, I shouldn't say blacks, but the African indigenous people. the And, of course, my people too. We were so humiliated. We couldn't resist in any way. If you did resist, you were imprisoned without trial for 90 days or, you know, 120 days, whatever it was. So we were basically helpless.
0: Did you ever resist in any way? As a young chap? As a young chap,
1: like? Did I ever do? Yeah, resist. You thought about it, but you know, you you couldn't. How could you? You know, and I mean, your parents would always discourage you to do that, to speak out. You know, they, mm. because you would be you'd face imprisonment, oh. and they were relatives of mine who were imprisoned. You know, because of they resisted.
2: Mm. Huh? How many in the family?
1: Well, we were four brothers and one sister, and one of my brothers was raised by my auntie. But then we all lived as a family unit, you know, my father and his brothers Inshallah. and their children, we all lived in one house, you know, like the old days. The old days. So, so where
2: where were where you in the in the scale of things? As, as, as I was a middle child. Oh, mashallah, the one that never listened to. <laughs> <No> <laughs> I
1: one. was a middle child, oh, you know, mashallah. but I was a good observer, I suppose, as a child, you know, I was observed all these things and it, 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 it did enter into my subconscious mind and I at a very young age, rather than resisting, I felt, listen, I need to leave this country. I need to leave oh. South Africa. What age was that? Oh, at about seven, eight years old, you know, I felt I need to leave this country. So you made up your mind that young? yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I said, I, I resolved then that I'm going to leave this country and that I'm, I'm going to either study abroad. But, you know, we, uh, my background was, uh, my family was, we were a very poor family. Mm-hmm. My dad was a worker, you know, he worked for another man. And so we were limited in our economic sense, you know. We didn't have the luxury of growing up in South Africa. We didn't have the luxury of libraries or good food. You know, the young children today, they have everything. They have the one, you know, I always tell our young children today, you'll are so lucky, you'll have the best food available. You'll have all the libraries available. Read, read, you know, I mean, so that you can expand your fullest level of consciousness, you know. Oh, the problem with our youth today, they don't read as much. And we, growing up in South Africa, we would have loved to read, but we didn't have that exposure. You know, we were, there were no libraries, no books. The only thing we were exposed to was a comic from a Sunday newspaper, you know. <laughs> and we would look forward to that, you know, every Sunday. We didn't even have money to buy a newspaper. So but just on Sunday, we would buy the new Sunday newspaper. and There would be a comic with that. Oh, wow. So we would look forward every Sunday to read the continuing story of a saga on that corner, uh, yes, you know? Yes, yes. But anyway, so that's that's how we grew up in South Africa. You know? <laughs> how, old, how old before you left? I was about 17 and a half so when I left South half. Africa.
2: Can you give us a, a situation where you can share with our viewers where it was
1: a really tough moment uh, that you struggled with there? Oh, look, there was a moment in my life when I was about, 14 or 15 years old, I, I got afflicted with a uh, illness called dysentery, you know, where you were just uh, passing stool, which full of blood. and I mean, it was a very hard time for me. I lost my vital force. I lost my energy. I was thing. very sick. And, you know, the level of medical care was not that good. So you were at home and there was no IV fluids. There was no blood transfusions. My weight dropped from about 140 pounds to about 70, 80 pounds. Wow. Yeah, I Half almost lost weight. my life, you know. And it was at that time that in that in that state, I really, And once you even recover from the acute illness, you never recover on a chronic level. You know, you're yeah. always suffering the consequences of that illness. And it was that time I decided I want to be a doctor and heal myself. Allah. You see? Allah. So... I really resolved that. Now, I mean, look, I, uh, my older brother had already graduated from high school, and he went to Dublin with great difficulty, financial, and he had already was admitted to medical school, oh, and so that wow. was a big task to get into medical school because they had an entrance exam there. That about over three hundred and fifty students took that exam, and they would only accept twelve. Wow, the top twelve. So that was a big challenge. You got to you know, be the creme
0: de the creme, yeah? You're yeah. The top, yeah.
1: The, the, so, you know, I mean, anyway, I when I finished high school, I mean, I had an average grade. I didn't have any excelled or anything like that. So I, would, I you know, I wanted my parents to send me to, to Dublin. And I mean, it was very hard because they said, we, we can't afford it. How can we afford to send you? We don't have the money. We don't have the means. But fortunately... My mother had 10 brothers. Allah. You know, we, my, on my mother's side, there were 21 children from Allah one, Allah. One, one mother. You all, know? all in South Africa? In, in South Africa. All, all, lived in all lived in South Africa. Mashallah. In the same town as us. Allah. And my mother went to each brother, you know. Each brother was in his own way struggling. But she went and she said, maybe you could give me $2. Maybe you could give me $3. And she finally, you know, scraped up about $20 a month and she said okay now we we have enough money we can oh, send wow. you you know so then i mean we so tell us a bit about your mom and dad tell us uh, Oh, look the the biggest influence on my life was my mom she was allah 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 yeah so she was a very strong woman you know she from the time we were young my father used to work for another man and she used to always tell us, never be like her father. Subhanallah. <laughs> Don't work for another man. Always be independent. Be your own boss. And she said, you should be a doctor. From a young age, she kept telling us, you should be a doctor. You'll be a doctor. And alhamdulillah, we had an older uncle who was a doctor in another town. He was, a very, he was the first non-white doctor in South Africa. Wow. Yeah, he graduated from India and St. Thomas' Hospital in London. So he was, and he was a very popular doctor, a pioneer. He was a pioneer. He was a doyen in the in the sense of the word. You know, he uh, his name was Doctor Kasim. See that? So he he was quite an inspiration to us. And my mother used to always say, "Be like Doctor Kasim. You know, if he can do it, you can do it. Just as human as he is." And my mom had that. The community didn't have that that. confidence in me that I could even with all the struggle still Mum was you can can do do it you can do it that's it she had a strong conviction that I had the ability to do it and and I had it I knew I had it because I was very I was a silent person and people took that silence for He's not so smart. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, they, don't, they don't realize <laughs> that, uh, you know, in your silence, you observe a lot of things, yeah. because other people don't, you know? Just, just for
2: our viewers, how important is that, having the belief of somebody like your mum behind you? Because what we've realized with the youth at the moment is that a lot of parents are losing faith in their kids, that they're, they're not giving them that love,
1: unconditional love, and saying, you can do whatever you need. Oh, and I've got your back. It's so important. The mom is the university. al uh, Mu'mineen, you know, she's the university of the family. I mean, I mean she, my mother was, uh, she could speak, she hardly spoke English, but she could speak uh, two Indian languages. She spoke Urdu fluently, which is spoken in Pakistan, and she could speak Gujarati. But I remember as a child, she used to read us all these stories in Urdu. Oh wow! And, and it was—they were so interesting, you know. They sparked your imagination, you know. I mean, Urdu is a beautiful language. I mean, Urdu means a combination of languages. It's a combination of Arabic, Persian, and the Indian language. That's Right. So, and uh, my mom was very fluent in Urdu, so that—that uh, that was big inspiration. Mom was educated. No, she wasn't. She never. She never went to school. Her father forbid her from going to school. You know, oh, in the old days, women yeah. were not allowed to be educated. But she was educated in her own way at home, and she was educated in the Quran. She was a very good res- reciter of Quran. Sure. She was a very good in Urdu. So, you know, you didn't...
2: Ta- take us through that. Uh, the Islam that was under the apartheid then, were used practicing
1: Muslims? Was it a cultural Muslim Islam? Yes, it was a cultural Islam. I mean, look, we weren't... We, my, my mom used to pray. But my dad, maybe not, later on he started. And for us, it wasn't that uh, important. Not important, but we we didn't get the right teachers to teach us Quran, you know? As I say, some of the teachers were so hard. They used to be the, the physical thing, the, the Mickey out of you, you know? I mean, whatever Islam we had whether we were born with in fitrah they took it out of us wow. you know what I mean I mean it was not very inspiring we didn't have really good uh, inspiring teachers you know inspiring. so uh, we ignored that aspect of our life but I do remember at one stage talking to my friends you know in about Islam and I was telling them you know the key to Islam is the Arabic language if we don't understand Arabic, we're not going to be able to understand this way of life, you know. I remember that as a small child telling, you know, that it was so important. Right advice. And uh, so anyway, I mean, look, we didn't really grow up in a strong Muslim atmosphere. But then later on, much later on, after I left South Africa, there was a big revival of Islam in South Africa. You know, in South Africa now has so many Darul and so many, yes. you know, Alims and it's, it's, it's really forefront. In, in, in Islamic education, you know? And uh, so alhamdulillah, I left South Africa when I was about. So growing up in South Africa was like growing up in darkness for me, you know? I mean, although it was a beautiful country, we lived at the foothills of the Drakensberg Mountains, with a beautiful river flowing through our town, and we used to swim in the river. You know, we learned all of swimming in the river. It's interesting when I was, very young about say eight or nine I used to go with my mother from the town we lived to where my grandparents used to live and on the way we used to pass the swimming pool which was for Europeans only for whites only yeah and I'm looking through the fence and looking at all these whites they, they're really enjoying themselves and jumping in the pool and and I'm telling my asking my mom why can't we go and swim there you know and she tells me oh she said you know what? Hashim, this uh, the dunya is their heaven and our heaven is in Allah. the Al-fera, you know. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, look, that didn't, that didn't jive with you. you know? <laughs> as a young chap, who <laughs> would yeah, yeah. No, yeah. that didn't jive. I said, no, that couldn't be true. But anyway, we were swimming in the river and that was more organic, much more healthier. You know? SubhanAllah. Yeah, so, I mean, look. It's amazing that
0: you have those moments where as, as a child to see that oppression, isn't it?
1: Yeah, you see things with such clarity,
0: you know. And I mean, mm. it's amazing. And 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 like like you said, like uh, some of us, Subhanallah, will see uh, the hardship and like will motivate us, and some of us will see that kind of hardship and it'll sort of break us. And for you, did you get either or? or did you get both, or what? What did you think?
1: It didn't break you? me, but you know, it. Uh, I mean, there was. I grew up with a bit of fear, you know, because you when you're so oppressed and uh, you always have fear for the the ruling the people who are the oppressors you know and i mean in what way in what way was the fear i mean the fear of being injured physically cuz they would beat you up for no reason you know i remember once i was with a few friends of mine and one of them was a, he was a muslim but he was colored that means he was his mother was uh, white and his father was non white so he was a colored and he looked like a colored you know they have these have features. I mean, I could look like a colored, I have curly hair and you know, all. But the police just came past, you know, they used to drive this open van. They just picked him up, just selected him for no reason, because, but because he was a colored. You know, and he was a young man, maybe 12, 14 years old, and they put him in the back in the car, and they drove him around the town, beat him up, and his mother went to rescue him from the police station, and she was spoke their language, Afrikaans, you know, and she swore them and... But, I mean, that was the treatment they would do. No, and, wait, wait. You know, and you, you grew up in a way, you under apartheid. You couldn't even walk on the street. If there was a white man approaching you, he would just bump you off, you know. So, You're like nothing to him, you know. Some of our youth uh, really don't understand. And, I this. mean, yeah, the children don't understand what was going on. It was For us, it was hard. But for the African, indigenous African, it was unbelievable. Oh. I mean, they suffered. You know, they were like so... They lost all this self-dignity and, and, and uh, self-worth. They had no self-worth, you know? Yeah, you know but you know. as a people, growing up with them, and I and I spoke the language, Zulu, you know? They were beautiful people. They were so kind, and, you know, in spite of all the oppression and all that, they were very, you know, people that you, you love to be around. They had a good sense of humor. It's they would talk, and, you know... Crack jokes and, you know, the women were lively and robust. And, uh, you know, and then it took, there's a lot of parallels between South Africa and Israel today. You know, apartheid states, you know. But then it takes one person to come along and they can change the whole consciousness of the people. And in South Africa, there was a man called Stephen Biko. I don't know if you heard of him. No. Probably most people didn't because he was also born like me in 1946 and he was a medical student at Natal University in South Africa. And in 1969, when he was a medical student, he formed a national consciousness movement, black consciousness movement, where he awoke the blacks to their, to their self reliance and to their awareness of that, look, you know, you're like human beings, you know, you have self worth and you have like wow. like dignity. And uh, this was, didn't jibe well with the South African government. Mm. I mean, he had, and the, this really woke up the consciousness, like a sleeping giant that woke up. Know. You know? So he was equivalent to a Malcolm X in South uh, Africa. E- and equivalent to, I'll tell you who, to Ghassan Kanafani. Oh, wow. in, in our brother from Palestine. Wow. Ghassan Kanafani was born in 1936. And at the age of 12, through the Nakba, they were expelled from Palestine. That's right. But he studied literature in Damascus University, and then he came back to Beirut. And he started, he joined the Popular Front for liberation of Palestine. But he was a writer, and he wrote, he didn't fire one bullet. But his pen was incredible, mightier than the sword. Sword, He was an amazing man. He awoke the consciousness of the Palestinian people. And not only the Palestinian people, the world. To the sufferings. Suppose. He exposed the sufferings of the Palestinians. And he was, he reached a point where in uh, 1977, no, no, 1968, they, one day he got into his car, switched on his engine and blew up, they blew him up, Mossad, you know. So there were a lot of parallels between Stephen Pico and Hassan and Malcolm X. And uh, Biko also, when he was a medical student, he was in nineteen seventy-seven. He was, he, I mean, the, he, he sparked off the uprisings in the Soweto. Soweto was a black township where they had this uprising, and that was the beginning of the. Did end. you say that? Did you say that all yourself? It, this happened just after I left South Africa. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, but I mean, I was I had my finger on the pulse. I mean, yes, I see, was, of course, this is your, your was, family's there. Yeah, and, yeah. and so uh, you know, he was arrested. But he, he was the one who, that was the beginning of the end of apartheid. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, his, because of his uh, awakening of the people. Cool. And there were uprisings in, in Soweto. There were uprisings mm-hmm. in Alexandra. And a lot of people left South Africa, because the, the white people, because they knew that this is, this is the beginning. And then came Mandela. And Mandela was, you know, imprisoned. And you know the history of that. Yes, yes. Yeah, but anyway, it was dismantled. By 19, early 1990s, 90s. apartheid was dismantled. Allah and look, there was a very beautiful transition. Mandela took South Africa from a, a country of so much of hate and all. And people thought there was going to be a big backlash against the whites in South Africa. But, you know, he took it through a beautiful transition. Allah and Allah. South Africa became so peaceful. And inshallah... You know, one day that can happen in Palestine. Amen. You know, if we can, if the people dismantle the Zionist state and the Jews and the Muslims and the Christians can live in peace like they always did, you know. Amen. Inshallah, Inshallah. We make du'a for that. Amen. 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 But anyway, so I went to so Ireland. A, so you went to Ireland. Wow. Ireland, oh, the Irish people are beautiful. <laughs> you know, they they themselves suffered 500 years of oppression under the British. Yes. Yeah, and So they're a very gentle, loving... And my, you know, they say a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step, right? As soon as I step into Ireland, I'm coming from the airport, a friend of my brother picked me up on the airport and I'm going through this heavy traffic, you know? And some guy is driving on the other side of the road. He just violates all traffic rules, you know? And he turns around and the policeman is standing right there, you know? And the policeman just ignored it, like nothing happened. <laughs> I mean, if if this happened in South Africa and right, if it was a known white, he probably would have got 10, 20 years of prison and they would have beat the hell out of him, you know? And I couldn't believe it. I said, wow, the policeman didn't do anything this Where is Where am like, I? In <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was like Janet Alfredos. Like, Ireland was so, and the people were so gentle and they greet you, and you know, these are. European white people who are so kind and loving how, how did you find that you know you got, a, you you got com- whites you got whites on the, this side saying so much of hate yes and you got
2: whites on this side saying welcome how, I mean, how un- was that
1: yeah, it was such a it was a, a paradox did you could, did you ever fathom that like could imagine that happened because even when you approached them you went to Ireland first initially and they're white people you thought you know you're scared of them but they were not like that you know they they I mean, I remember I, when I went into the apartment of my brother. I was alone. My brother was in London at the time, and our neighbour was there. Her name was Mrs. Gill. She was an old white lady. She invited me to her house for tea and, you know, so sandwiches fun, oh, wow. and all that. You know, and I, such kindness. Were you I thinking, never, what did she
2: want from me? She's invited <laughs> me <laughs> over.
1: <laughs> you know, yeah. but when you
2: were from South Africa, did you have any hatred in your heart to white people? No, I really did didn't. Did you have that mentality of? Pre, you
1: know, the old Malcolm X, they're the devils. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I'm, you know, I never at any stage in my life had hatred for any people. Subhanallah. I always wished for peace on earth. You know, I mean, look, in the healing art, you cannot have any prejudices. Subhanallah. You know, I, I think because you you're yourself, you, 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 to, you know, the, you prepare yourself for a higher goal in this world. You know, and the healing art is it's a higher goal. So I went to Ireland and, you know, I took the entrance exam. That was, I told you how competitive it was. And I didn't pass the first time. You know, I didn't because I was, you know, uh, too enamored with the, maybe with the Irish women, you know. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, I had to go wait for another year before they took the exam again. So I went to London. So you went from Ireland to London? Yeah. Because you didn't pass. To go and work there. I had to go and work, make some money, you know. So I went there, and the only job I could get was a dishwasher in a hotel. Subhanallah. Yeah, and I worked as a dishwasher for like about three, four months, you know, making money. But it was quite an eye-opener, the dishwasher stuff, you know. I mean, you were, you were the lowest on the scale in the kitchen. <laughs> yes. The cook when the chef, main chef, was British, and his, his subordinates were all British. They didn't even recognize you as an individual, you know. I mean, you were nothing there. So to them, you were just probably a haze, you know. And you every day have to do the dishes, mop the floor, and I was thinking to myself, "Wow, is this what I'm going to do for the rest of my life?" And I mean, is this what Allah created me for? Mm-hmm. You know, no, this is not what I'm created for. You know, I better wake up and really study hard. You know, so, so uh, anyway, <laughs> was that the catalyst? That was the actual. That was the catalyst. That was what uh, really woke me up from a deep sleep. You know, that how I old really- were you then? I was about 18 and a half. Wow. At 18, so 19, I entered medical school. So I went back to Dublin, and, and look, I was, I went and found a good Irish teacher, you know. I went to a college, private college, and I didn't have the money to really afford this teacher, but I went to him, and he was a big man, you know, and he said to me, his name was Mr. Blackrock, you know, and I told him, Mr. Blackrock, look, I come from a very poor family, and, and, and I need your help. I want to be a doctor. And, I, and I'm weak in mathematics and I'm weak in English. And I really need you to, to get me up to the mark, you know, I have to pass this entrance exam. Wow. I mean, he was a typical Irish man, used the Fs and Bs very, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I studied under him and he really, really tutored me very well. You know, I really, oh, and I, when I went and did that entrance exam, I came out first in that exam. Allah. Uh, Yeah. So, and then I got to Just touching on that, how important,
2: firstly, is knowing your weakness. Secondly, is being able to put that ego aside and asking for help. Absolutely. And thirdly,
1: even if you don't have the money, people are willing to support you. Yes, that's it. And I told him that, look, I don't have the money. And he was a very kind Irish man. He said, never mind the money. But he said, it's important that you and work hard with yeah. what I tell you, what so, I give you okay. homework, you know. So that was one of your first mentors? That was my most important mentor in this world. Oh, the know, foundation, I, that was the foundation. But he, he gave me the foundation to enter medical school, you know, and I and I remember going in front of the medical school and making du'a also to Allah. At that time I wasn't praying, but I, I mean, the audacity of myself, you know, I said, oh Allah, if you exist, please give me an admission into this oh, university. Yeah. And I will be worthy of it, you know.
2: Subhanallah.
1: So anyway, I got into medical school. And it was really, in medical school, it was very smooth sailing for me. I found it very easy. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, I found it uh, not challenging. And I always was top in the top three of my class, you know. And I won a few gold medals and all that. But, and and uh, all it took was a dishwasher. Uh, very different from a dishwasher. <laughs> oh. I mean, it's being a an dishwasher and just peeping through the crack on the door, you could see all these rich people dining in, the, in that in that luxurious dining room. Mm. And you just think you compare yourselves to them, you know. I mean, these people had reached the top and, you know, you, something to aspire for anyway. But yeah. that was not my aspiration anyway, to be rich. It's just
0: amazing how where you... Saw so, like it's kind we've talked to many young kids and and they see that and they feel hopeless and say I'll never get anywhere in life. Where mm. you you had that lens of you know this is I've, aspiring for me compared to this is detrimental to me and I'll never be there. That's amazing how you were saying you peeked through that window and you saw these people that have achieved it. Yes, that you know, and then it it sort of
1: motivated you. Yeah. They've reached the goal. Yeah. yeah. It did in a way, but that, you know, I was looking beyond that. I was thinking, you know, I need to study medicine and I need to go get a postgraduate degree. Yeah, but what,
0: why did you think like, like I'd like to dig in, sort of why did you do that? Like some of us don't sort of see deeper, like you're saying. This, it's more for me. Like because what, you know, you
1: know, as I told you, I was quite sick when I was about fifteen years old, and I lost my vital force, vital energy, and I. I wanted to retrieve that. I wanted to heal myself. So you, when you were there studying or, or doing the dishwashing, you still were thinking about studying medicine. Absolutely. You
0: know what I'm saying? But you were still
1: like healing. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was still not well, and I was still thinking, uh, I want to be a doctor so that I can heal myself. You know. And, and and it's interesting because if you take traditional cultures like the American Indians or the, the the Yaki Indians of Mexico and all that. They used to pick a healer, like the shaman of the tribe, from a young boy who was very sick in his young in his young age. Oh wow. And so that because he was more empathetic and sympathetic to sick people. Allah. You see? And they would choose him to be the healer. And I think that, that was my journey. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was choosing you, huh? I, I mean Allah is so kind. I mean You know we can't count his blessings, yeah. Amina, Amin. Amin, Amin. Subhanallah, Subhanallah. Amin. So you got really sick. I was really sick. Oh, I was really sick. Believe me. How, how bad? In. How bad? Give, give us. A I surah. mean, I, I almost died. You know, I remember one of my cousins. Her uh, name was Amina. She was. Ah, she came to see me. She was the only one that really came to see me, and she was. She understood how sick I was, you know. And I really appreciated that, you know. I appreciated Amin. her visiting me.
0: Isn't that amazing how yeah. important it is to visit people that are sick and to oh, it's so important. It's it's like it's like it's like a shining light, isn't it?
1: It is, and it's a healing. It is a to healing. visit a, a sick person, you know, <laughs> for both. Yeah, for the uh, the patient <laughs> and the person who's visiting. Subhanallah. You know? Anyway, and so I I chose to be a stomach specialist because it was in that uh, organ that I was sick, you know. Allahu Akbar. So when I graduated from medical school, I decided now i want to go to the, you know, we well, well, graduated with honors. So there were many hospitals, university hospitals, came to the medical school to recruit us, to take us to mm-hmm. the brain drain, you know, to take us to America <laughs> yeah. to work in yes, the hospitals. Yes. So that was very good. I got an opportunity to work at the University of Michigan. I worked at a city hospital affiliated with the University of Michigan, you know. So now, so, you're, so now you're in America. Now I'm in America. The first step the, we make. The wow. U.S. of a. <laughs> What year? That was in 1972. Did you meet Malcolm X? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think Malcolm X was, uh, he was assassinated. Yeah, then I think. Yeah. yeah. I met some of the Muslim <laughs> brothers, but no, not Malcolm X. Uh, I met Muhammad Ali. Oh, Allah. Yeah. Oh, Allah. yeah Allah. I had dinner with him and I had uh, we prayed together. MashaAllah. But, uh, but at that time he was a bit really out of it, you know. He was... Uh, Part of the nation of Islam still? He, well, yeah, he was. He was, no, and he was uh, praying at that time. Mashallah. He was a beautiful man, Muhammad. Mashallah, Ali. Yeah, yeah, he was. So it was a good, it was a very nice opportunity. SubhanAllah,
2: yeah, one that the sheikh that did the burial was saying that Muhammad sallam, is the most praised, where his funeral procession, everyone was screaming, Muhammad, Muhammad and he he couldn't hold his tears because how praised muhammad sallallahu alaihi is so nice. for them for the for them to allow the non muslim to praise his name not knowing or because of a of a boxer amazing you know yeah. what i mean and, and if you remember the videos, the procession was you know 6 7k's of of non muslims praising this man muhammad, Ali. Muhammad, muhammad 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 they're saying all oh, they're praising the rasul sallallahu alaihi not knowing there's a being
1: subhanallah amazing so now you're in the U.S. I'm in the U.S. and look, how was that? Was that also well, the apartheid point. slash? And, uh, look, you know, in in the U.S., there is racism, but uh, I didn't experience it. Oh wow! Yeah, there was only one occasion. I think I was working in a psychiatric hospital, and one of the uh, patients was suffering from schizophrenia or something. He called me a bloody Arab. You know, <laughs> I didn't even know what uh, Arabic then. You know but uh, other than that i mean uh, they they regard you as uh, caucasian you know yeah. do not uh, sing. but they, so i didn't experience but my first introduction i get into I flew into detroit and the driver is a african black Af- african american he was the driver and he introduced welcome to motown mate <laughs> <laughs> you know motown is yeah. where they have the black soul yeah, music yeah. and so that was a very good introduction how yeah. long in the us for Oh, I was there for about 20 years. 20 years? Yeah, yeah. So you must have got married there. I did. No relationships in Dublin? No, no relationships. Well, I did, yeah, but not uh, serious enough, you know. But uh, so America, I went there and I did my internship and then I did my residency, which was another three years, and my fellowship, which is another two years to become a stomach specialist. So it was about... One, two, four, six, seven, six years after graduation, you have to do postgraduate and study, that, and, and that journey you were healing yourself, and, and you were working at the university hospital, and you are studying. Are you, were at you, the you working on yourself as well? Yes, I was. I mean, I was trying to find my cure, but at the end of the road, when I, at the end of the road, when I became a stomach specialist, I didn't find the answer in, in modern medicine. Somehow. Wow, Allah. I didn't. So what? Well, that's
0: it. ten years later. That was more, oh, more. more. See so
1: the six years was, in the US so and twenty-six now, you know, and I still didn't find the answer to my Wow. I'm looking and I thought it would be being a stomach specialist, I'd be able to heal myself. So anyway, I went into practice in Northern California in a town called Stockton. I worked there for a while. It was I was very busy, was very busy, made a lot of money and I did a lot of traveling. Oh, they used to call me Ibn Battuta. You know? <laughs> yes, so I traveled everywhere. I went to Japan and China and India and uh, you. Were and you married me. then? No, I wasn't. Single, single. I was traveling single. the world. I was just traveling. So like you a got travel say, blogger. How important is traveling the world in, oh, your, in your traveling life? is so? If you want to know yourself, you have to travel. You know the Prophet said, "I think this oh, is a Hadith that. to that effect." Yeah. I'm not a big Islamic scholar, but they say if you want to know yourself, you travel. You know, and uh, you really get to know, you, and also you get to know other, like if you know a friend, you know, like Hazrat Umar said. Yeah. If you have done business with him yes. or if you've traveled with, with him, him yeah. you know him, you know. Yeah, 100%. Or and live that, with is, him. that is so important in this world, you know. 100%. And that was an, a, a beautiful experience.
2: And were and you helping mum and dad sending yeah, money back? Absolutely. Mum oh, and dad's still in South Africa. South Africa.
1: I was helping them. I was helping my brother, younger brother, who was studying medicine. So we were three brothers that was raised by my mom, and all three of us became doctors. Wow! So, yeah, my I'm older sure, brother Muhammad is a is a GPA in Melbourne actually, but he went to Brisbane, and my younger brother is still a GPA in Melbourne. He oh, works in, wow. yeah, in Northland. So what a what a
0: trip all the way to Africa, Dublin, oh, yes. the Maristr- <laughs> then Australia, <laughs> then bit of a twirl, and then come to Melbourne. <laughs> then come to Melbourne.
1: That's right. Yeah. amazing. So yeah. So I mean, look. But in 1980 in America, you know, you were asking me what's what's the moment that I would think that that was a very big moment in my life was somehow or the other I ended up with at an istima istima, sure. And I mean, I was not practicing Islam and I was not praying. I was not fasting in 1980. One Pakistani brother told me to take his son to an istima that was in another city, you know, so I took him and I left him there and I went away. And then I came back after two days to the istima to pick him up. And I met a man there and he was quite a remark. I mean, I was really impressed by his being, you know, he was a very illuminated human His energy. Like. Yeah, he was very state, special about him. State, isn't it?
0: Huh? Kind of like we communicate with our state and we also communicate with our statements. That's and so I it. noticed like some people can communicate with the state, like, the Absolutely.
1: aura. Allah the Allah, the aura. I mean, there was no communication, just the vision of him, you know, just attracted me to him. And we started talking, you know, and he started telling me about the Prophet sallam, and Allah he started says. telling me about the Quran. And he introduced me to a wonderful book. It was called The Book of Knowledge by Imam Ghazali. Oh, yeah. You know, and I read that book. That book really changed my life. What a book. It did. I mean, then I really started practicing Islam. Is there there
0: a point in that book that really grabbed you?
1: Oh, I don't know. I know, it's full of of jewels. (laughs) It's full of jewels, but I think he, no, not offhand, I cannot recall it now. (laughs) But it, it really changed me, you know, and I started practicing Islam. And I mean, to to practice Islam initially from coming, it's like coming from the depths of darkness to light, you know, it's it's, it's not easy. It's not an easy transition. You know, the nafs is difficult. To uh, yes. <laughs> it doesn't want doesn't to be tamed. <laughs> oh, look, look, but the, I think the important thing was that Anyway, alhamdulillah, it was the, the beginning of a very well, beautiful journey. You know? wow. I started practicing Islam, and many other doors started opening to me. You know? And one of the doors that opened was I had an opportunity to go to China to study acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine.
0: Wow. You yeah. know?
1: And then I went to China, and I was trying to look at that model. And I found, look, it, it really was very, it's a very beautiful way of healing, and it helped me a lot in my journey of healing acupuncture and Chinese herbs. So you, you personally, this is your healing now? No, this is my journey. So I went to China, to Beijing, and I studied at the traditional academy of Chinese. Wow, how bears. was
0: that? So that's a, that's, there's, there's a, sort that was of a very good experience. communication gap there suddenly? you No,
1: they did all the lectures in English. Oh, wow. They, wow. The, the lecturer would give the lecture in Chinese, and you had an interpreter. Oh, wow. But the Chinese are very organized. You know, this was after Nixon visited China and they opened up the doors of uh, China. You know, China was always yeah. a mystery before. Yes. Yes. But now China opened the doors. And one of the things they introduced the world to was acupuncture. Wow. Yeah, and cupping, hijama. Hijama, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah but the Chinese love way love of hijama. Hijama. So then, hijama. Yeah, so I studied that. And that, that really helped me a lot. That was in 1983. Allahu Akbar. Yeah. I went to, no, 1982, I went to China. And I spent about six months there. Six it was months. very nice at the uh, traditional in, all this journey, you never got permit residency anywhere? In uh, the US. In the US. Yes. So I now do. you're a citizen? Now I'm a citizen of the US. Yeah. Wow. So you're I, a Yankee? Uh, yeah, now I'm a, U- <laughs> I'm a Yankee. <laughs> <laughs> SubhanAllah. So, yeah. So then, you know, I came back to America and I started a practice again in another town in Southern California. And uh, that's when I was introduced to homeopathy homeopathy is a healing art wow look homeopathy is a beautiful art it's a it's basically a muslim science believe you me or not you know it was practiced by the ancient muslims like Jabir ibn hayyan ibn razi you know these were the our great practitioners practiced homeopathy really oh. and uh, the remnants of what they left behind was picked up by a German man. It was a very brilliant German man, Samuel Hahnemann. You know, he was a linguist and a doctor. And he spoke 11 languages. And one no. of his main language was Arabic. Oh, no. Yeah. And he was translating all the ancient uh, Andalusian texts, you know, from Andalucia Cordoba and all that. And, you know, I'm sure he came across this principle of like treats like, you know, and the Prophet said that for every disease allah has sent a cure yes and the cure is with the disease so what causes the disease cures the disease that's the so, law of similars so, oh, no. so i mean look i started studying homeopathy. and homeopathy works you know it works it's beautiful science but n- not many people although you know there's a lot of people think contrary to that Yeah, it, it gets a lot of like i've negative yeah it gets a lot of negative online presence because i think because people don't understand it but I think if you integrate it with modern medicine, you have a beautiful system. Mm-hmm. And I think- And you come from all different worlds. Well, the best, look, in the modern medicine is wonderful. You know, we have things that we've never had before, has advanced to the point. We have fantastic ways of doing surgery, curing people, curing cancer, leukemias in children. And we have wiped out certain diseases like smallpox and you know diphtheria. These were scourges on humanity before, you know? So modern medicine has beautiful attributes, but if you combine it or integrate it with traditional medicine, mm-hmm. and a lot of countries are doing that, like even in the United States, the Mayo Clinic, which is a top-notch clinic in the United States, everybody knows about the Mayo Clinic. They have a Department of Integrated Medicine. And wow. in France, in Germany, in Italy, and of course, homeopathy is very popular in India, also. You know, mm. yeah. So I mean, well, the, can, can you share it, with yeah. us? Can
0: you, can you share with us like a, one of your greatest, and of course, healing yourself, but healing anybody else? A story of yes, you I healing. Yeah, yeah,
1: I'll give you an example. Uh, look, I've had literally thousands of patients that I've uh, blessed, seen wonderful results with. You know, and you don't get results in every patient. I mean, I would say. Seventy percent of the people who come to me do get some benefit. So, uh, what we ask, what we, uh, you know, want here is an integrated approach, yes. and all along, mm-hmm. and you know, all along, we've had some wonderful teachers. You know, I've had some very inspiring teachers in my life. I wanted to talk about that if you a bit. Yes. You know, in medical school, it was interesting. I had a, a Jewish professor of pharmacology and cardiology. And he was a great inspiration to me. You know, he was a very intelligent man, you know. And uh, I remember once I was on a ward round with him. I was just very young, I was a, uh, maybe a third year student. whereas well, were, There were students who were senior to me, six, they were doing the sixth year and fifth year and fourth year and I was a third year student. you know. And we just started my clinical rounds with him, you know. And he presented a case which I was just, you know, I read about, uh, pathology of blood so I was really familiar with what how it will manifest as an illness you know and he asked everybody what's what's the diagnosis you know and the the senior students were all like you know, looking at an in the background most junior student I said this is a case of leukemia you know and he was so impressed, you know. And uh, later on, when I did my pharmacology exam, he gave me first prize, you know. Yeah. No, no, no. uh, so I mean, he was a great inspiration. Then uh, he subsequently moved to Israel, and uh, he passed away there. But he was one of the most, probably one of the most inspiring teachers that I had in medical school. Oh, wow. And even when I went to the, you know, I mean, we just uh, we talk about Jews, you know, not, um, I mean, the. Most of the university hospitals, they were staffed by Jewish doctors, and they were very easy to get along with, very personable, you know, and uh, very good teachers. I mean, I had good experiences with them, all of them.
0: Allah, there's 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 so many khair khair, brothers and sisters. I
1: mean, not every Jew is a Zionist. Yes, 100%. But anyway, I mean, look, in fact, I had a lot of Jewish friends in America. They took me into their families, you know, invited me to their homes, and... So, but I think in uh, my most inspiring teacher in America was a my professor of gastroenterology. He was a, of Korean descent. Oh, uh, wow. you was William a you've, you've, you've had a field of uh, yeah, motivators, they, haven't you? Oh, he was a beautiful man. He was, his name was William Che. And uh, he passed away just this year in January at the age of 93. 93. Amazing, yeah. Allahu Akbar. SubhanAllah. And that, and that term too, when I went to gastroenterology, I mean, just coming back a little bit, I'll just, uh, before I go to that interview with him, in 1980, after I opened, Allah opened the doors to me, I went to Umrah, right? And in Umrah, I met a man in the vicinity of Mecca and I he was, he was a very learned man, yeah? And I asked him, I said, make, after I left his home, I remember as I was leaving his home, I was going to put my foot into, the left foot into my shoe. And he looked at me and he said, you always put your right foot first, you know, and exit with your left foot from the house, put your right shoe first. And i never forget that. And now I remind everybody when I see them putting the (laughs) shoes, put your right right shoe first. (laughs) Anyway, I said to him, uh, Sheikh, make a dua for me, you know. And the dua he made was a beautiful dua for me. He said, I pray that Allah gives you the intellect of the Greeks, the hands of the Chinese, and the tongue of the Arabs. Allah. Allah, Akbar. Beautiful dua. And after that dua, subhanAllah, I went to China and studied Chinese medicine, Allah. <laughs> and my homeopathic teacher was a Greek, <laughs> subhanallah. and I married a Lebanese girl. <laughs> 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 and I had the opportunity uh. to study Arabic, you know. Allah, I had made attempts before, but then I went to my wife and I, we went and lived in Lebanon for a while. We lived there for four years. Where did, you meet,
2: where did you meet your wife?
1: I met her here. Here in Australia? Yeah, not, she, not in the US? No, no, she, was, she didn't, wasn't she raised here. She was a village girl who came to visit her sisters. Subhanallah. And she didn't speak a word of English. And I didn't speak a word of Arabic. So we communicated through the kamus, you know, through the dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I met her. And then uh, we lived in Lebanon and I went to... AUB American University of Beirut to study Arabic. That was a very good experience. I was about 59 years old in 2002 Stayed in the hostel with these young students and I studied attended Arabic classes every day and so it gave me a very good grasp of the Arabic grammar and an understanding of the Quran, you know Ah, Yeah, yeah, that was a very good experience never too late to study never that's what my daughter used to tell me she said God. I mean you're an old man now you're 59 how don't you feel shy going with all these young people I said to them I don't even I don't see any difference between them and me you know I problem. mean it's never too late to study amazing you know? 52 you started studying Arabic and oh 59 Allah. at age 59 yeah and it's still ongoing you know so uh, that was very good you know I mean I went and Beirut was I don't know. I mean, have you all been to lived no, in I'm Beirut? Ahmed has, but I haven't known. But most of the Lebanese, I know my family, they go and they stay in the village. They don't. But I lived in Beirut. You know, yes, I yeah. lived in the student hostel and Beirut has some beautiful bookshops. I mean, it's, the, it's, it's known as the book capital of the world. Oh, wow. And it's famous for its, its restaurants, its coffee yes. houses. You know, it's an amazing place, Beirut. And uh, that was a very good experience for me. I really enjoyed that. And, uh, yeah, and then we stayed in Lebanon till the, the war broke out between Hezbollah and uh, Israel. Oh, wow. And we left, you know, because they were to live under the bombing. They were bombing all the powerhouses and bridges, even in the north, you know. Yes, yes. So we had to leave. Yeah. And then you
0: decided to come to Australia.
1: Hmm? So from and there we came you... back to Australia, yeah. Yeah. So your wife's an Australian? No, no, my wife now, she's, oh, she's okay. Lebanese. So you, you, you came from America to Australia? I moved from, I migrated from America to Australia in 1990. Wow. 1990. This, and I, you know, I left, the, the exit from America was traumatic. What happened? Well, you know, I was uh, planning to come move to Australia because my parents, all my family were here in Lebanon, I mean in Australia. Australia.
2: Mom and dad came here?
1: No, my brothers. Oh, your brothers. The mom and dad visited, but my dad and my mom told me, you should move to Australia, you know, the family's there.
2: Subhanallah So predominantly
1: majority of brothers and sisters were here Yeah And so I decided to apply for citizenship, you know And registration as a doctor here And that was easy to get And just before I left America, you know, I went there And uh, I knew some people, not very good people, you know They they wanted my car You know, they were Muslims, African Muslims And I told them no. I couldn't give you my car because I'm, you know, I'm going to overseas and I need the money. I'm going to be moving to Australia, and anyway, the the guy who wanted it, he, maybe he planned it. Allah knows, but they shot me five times. Allah, <laughs> yeah, I was shot five times, you know, and it was like in the U.S. in the U.S. Yeah, it was the same time that that famous Chinese cardiologist, heart surgeon, was shot in Sydney. And he also received five bullets, and I got five bullets, but he didn't survive, you know? I survived Allah it. And it was, I suppose, not my time, you know? Allahu Akbar. What and, age were you there? Sorry? How old were you? I was, uh, well, that was in 91. No, I was no, about 44, 45. 44,
2: years. and you got shot five times? Yeah. For
1: your car? For my car. Unbelievable. Allah. And that was very traumatic. So that, that finalized my exit from... The US. the U.S. You know,
0: Allah, Allah's got a plan for you. Yeah, yeah he won't like it But really. it needed five shots, five bullets. Yeah, you, you can sing a song. Five bullets couldn't get me. You can. Need...
1: Oh, that was. <laughs> uh, Who sang right. that song? Uh, Fifty cents. they made his his debut because of five yeah, shots. Anyway, it's a good renewal of your spirit. You Allah. Know? So and then I mean, look, it was. I only spent three days in hospital. There was only, only three days. Yeah, I had oh, a fractured okay. jaw and all of the but the other bullets were very superficial. You know, one went through the back of my head and. Through Allah akbar. So I didn't have major injuries, but you know, it was confronting. Yeah. Wow. How, sure. how was that journey? How was that journey? Oh, it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's when you uh, you know look when you think about these people in Gaza and all that you know it's, no. it's minuscule compared to what they're experiencing you know no. but it, it uh, you can imagine when people are confronted with that situation how traumatic it is to them you know especially children now can yeah. you can you think of these children in Gaza who are experiencing this death and destruction no. every day what psychological impact it has on them you know no. And uh, so that, and I mean, I know what I experienced. You get like flashbacks and nightmares, you know? How
2: did you deal with that?
1: How? how, how? I look, I mean, I was, uh, I was taking a lot of. Because a lot of
2: these kids today, they're all in depression and they're all fighting anxiety. So that's why I'm asking these questions. I'm...
1: Yeah, I mean, I was taking a lot of the Bach flower remedies. I don't know if you're familiar with that. No. The Bach flower remedies are beautiful remedies which help you cope emotionally with problems, you know? And I think these remedies can really help the people, the children and the people in Gaza. And inshallah, when the uh, this thing all settles down, I have an intention to go, you know, to, and I think you asked me before the uh, podcast, what would be the proudest moment? I think th- it's still to come. It's I actual. think I would love to go to Gaza and work there, you know, after this. There's been moments like that in my life where you had great clarity of thought, you know, like when I was in Ireland, my intellect opened up. Like, it, uh, people couldn't believe that this very average student would go and perform so well in Dublin, you know? And after I finished my first year, I remember all these uh, people from South Africa, they send their children say, if this guy can do it, <laughs> you guys can do you, it too. You, you and and, uh, heaps of them, dozens of them came, but none of them were that successful. You know? Of yeah, it was just everybody's different, yeah? You know, Ireland is known, Dublin is known as a city of saints and scholars. Yeah, yes. Yeah, and so the, the being in that environment really opens up your intellect. Yeah. You, can, you can have such clarity of thought, you know. Yeah, subhanAllah. It's amazing. You have such clarity. And if you read a book, you understand it immediately. You absorb it. You absorb it like it's nothing. You yeah, just yeah, absorb yeah. it like it, it
0: becomes part of you. And SubhanAllah, sometimes we have that where we are so like in tune. I call it like in tune, like you just... Everything resonates amazingly, and then some days where you're just out of tune, and, and everything is just like bells and whistles, and being absorbed.
1: Beautiful, yeah. And I mean, we call that badak. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I felt like that when I was studying Arabic. You know. Yeah. Anyway, look, the, I better say this before my cousin, you know, my wife will remind me that, <laughs> that the the best things that happened to me was I married a Lebanese woman. Shall you know, us Lebanese, <laughs> have, us Lebanese have a very big effect on you. Know I mean? <laughs> <laughs> We're Ahl al Sham, so we've got a lot of barakah. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> ta- we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. sure. No, I mean, she's really been, you know, it was, it was such a. To be married to a believing woman is the biggest gift in life. A-meen, a-meen, 50% a-meen. of your The journey is already over. Amen. Yes. You know, and Allahumma tawafana ala aliman. Amen. Yeah. InshaAllah.
0: So, 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 subhanAllah, like, say 50 years of being
1: a doctor. You've got
0: 50 Ooh. years under your belt. That's my age, you
1: know. <laughs> that's <nice>. that's <laughs> that's that's my so you have <laughs> seen everything, you know. I remember once when I started practicing in California, a patient came to me and I was about 31 or something. And he asked me, how old are you, Doc? I said, I'm 31. He said, I don't want to see you. He said, I want to see a doctor who's over 55 years old. lower, Because it. he's got more experience. And, you know, as you... That's true to a certain extent because as you get older, you've seen everything. You're yeah. not, I mean, there's mm. no possibility of seeing everything. Everything is infinite, yeah? And But you've seen a lot in your days. Yeah. Mm. So you can recognize an illness you know, intuitively, yeah. and that comes with experience. Exactly, yeah. It's, 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 with, it, with, that's so the art. With, you know? with your wealth of knowledge, what
2: would you give some of our audience, the youth, especially the way we're eating currently, all the processed foods and things like that, what would, what, what some small things we could do to really transform
1: our lives. So later on down down the track, we don't have these diseases. I think, look, the most important thing when the health is concerned, I think you should, number one is diet. Diet, diet, diet. I think people today are eating a lot of fast food, junk food, highly processed food. You know, you should watch your diet. Diet is very important because that determines your state of health, your state of being, you know. And I mean, modern science has shown that. What the Prophet said, you know, he said that stomach is the star of all disease. That our immune system depends on the quality of the bacteria in our gut. And the quality of our bacteria in our gut depends on what food we eat. So if you eat food which is highly processed, highly toxic, the bacteria change to be more aggressive, more uh, disease forming bacteria. Wow. You know, and if you eat good food, what's good benefit? food? What's good food? Good food is food that is not uh, genetically modified, food that is organic, food that is uh, high in fiber, food that is uh, you don't cook in hydrogenated oils like you know vegetable oils. You cook in either coconut oil or olive oil. You know the traditional food which the, our our great grandfathers and grandfathers ate. Oh. You know good food. It's a good question you ask, good food, right? Today's Jummah and if you read Surat al-Kaf, right? Everybody reads Surat al Cave yes. on Friday. And when the sleepers of the cave, Allah Yarhamuhum, they were after they woke up after three hundred years, they said to one of them, Take this coin and go to the city and find us good food. Yes. Mm. So that even then there was a recognition of good food and bad food. And I would urge my audience, I would urge the audience who are listening to this, research, do your research about a good diet. What's a good, sensible diet, you know, for you and your children? Do you believe every person has different... I mean, yeah, there is some people who believe that, but I think generally that's hard to follow. Some people do it by blood typing and say that mm. these foods are more suitable for that. You don't believe but it? I, yeah, look, I do. I mean, you know... There's certain truth in that, but I think a good sensible diet, you know, a good organic, healthy food diet with uh, avoiding, you know, highly refined foods, white bread, white sugar. White sugar is is a poison to mm. humanity. You know, that's what my professor of pharmacology, Professor Abrahamson, in medical school, used to tell us. He used to tell us it's interesting. He told us one day. He said his father, who came from Russia, was also a doctor. And his father used to tell him and his students that a day will come when the third world will be afflicted with a disease that they have never seen before. And it won't be because of plagues or wars. It'll be because of the ingestion of excess highly refined white sugar. Allah. You know, and that's so true. Diabetes today. One and if two. you look at the food today, you see every food today has sugar in it. And it's so addictive. You know, people drink Coca-Cola. I mean, I shouldn't say names, but, you know, this this uh, the food just has too much sugar in it. Oh. And some. how many
2: times would you tell somebody, do you believe breakfast, lunch, dinner, three times a
1: day? What would Basically, you? I only eat twice a day, yeah? You only eat yeah, twice I, a day. What the times? Morning, the morning I usually just have only fruit and things like yogurt or sometimes I may have some eggs. But uh, sometimes I eat at about four o'clock in the afternoon and then I don't eat after that. So you fast, intermittent yeah. fasting through the whole day. And then maybe me have a very light snack about you know, two or three hours before. How long have you been doing that for? For quite a while, for quite a while now. <laughs> I'm very careful what I eat, you know. Mashallah. Do you train at all? Do you do yes, I do, I walk every day. Mashallah. I walk every day, Alhamdulillah. And I do some uh, walking and I do a lot of meditation. Yeah, I love meditation. It's a wonderful thing to do, you know, opens yeah. up your mind to, do, you know, and, you know, I mean, the Quran, Allah, the Prophet said that, he said, a moment's reflection is better than a thousand nights of prayer, you know. Yeah. So 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 important.
2: Important. <laughs> it's so important. It's so true. As well. A lot of us don't reflect
1: <laughs> these days and they're too busy. They're too busy. If yeah. you I mean, if you read the Quran, this Allah says that this is a book for people who reflect. I mean, if you read the book and then reflect on it, above reflection is revelation. <laughs> hey, eh? so I mean, well. if you really reflect beyond, above that, you know, you, you really, Allah opens doors. I mean, the Quran is an incredible book, you know. I mean, I, inshallah, I try to read it every morning and I reflect on it. But it's, Do you wake up for Fajr and start yeah, your I day? I stay up to okay. not for the whole day. After Ishraq I go to back to bed. Okay. I must you, say after okay, COVID. Kaylula. Yeah, I have uh, at least two hours of sleep, you know. Wasallam. And now I'm semi-retired. So I I see about one or two patients a day, one patient a day, you know. Wasallam. I try Wasallam. to have a lot of a- children a- in my practice. Allah And uh, alhamdulillah. I mean, Quran is such a gift to mankind, you know. I mean, I, mean, right. I mean. So my message for the young people is, you know, medicine is a wonderful field. You should, If it's going to, you're going to choose it as a career, you should choose it out of passion and love. Healing, you know, really true healing. Shouldn't do it because you want to be too rich. You can, and all that will come. That is the reward of the, you know, side benefit. But the main objective of it is to help humanity and for higher goals in life, higher Amen. purposes in life. You know.
0: Yeah. I I, I want to ask you a question. What What would be the most like being a doctor and fifty years of experience? What would be the most challenging case you've ever had?
1: Every day now, I come across some very challenging cases, you know. And what can you do? You see your relatives, you know, dying of cancer. You see uh, young children getting leukemia. I mean, it's, it's very sad, our young children getting tumors, you know. And just the other day, a friend of mine, uh, you know, diagnosed with terminal cancer. What do you do? They tell me, you've got three months to live. You know, you no. would like to do something, but it's hard, you know, no, no, no. it's difficult. Look, it's a very, medicine is a very challenging field, you know, and it's, uh, I think anybody who's, uh, he's turned, is uh, uh, wants to be a doctor has many challenges, but he should take up the challenge, you know, because we mm. need, and now we have some very good Muslim doctors in, we have a very good group. Imagine, you know, yeah. inshallah, inshallah, we can be the at The Muslim, forefront. Muslim
0: Medical Network. I think, the, yeah, yeah.
1: We got to be at the forefront of and opening we have, our own hospital. We, we should be. We should. That's our right. I mean, the knowledge is the lost. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, that knowledge is the lost beast of the movement." He has more right to it than anybody else. Amen. Isn't it? I mean, we Amen. should be. We should be people like that. And then you asked me about the book of knowledge. What impressed me? The book. Just come now. and thinking about it in the no. book of knowledge. He's saying, about, he, uh, Imam Ghazali Ali is talking about seeking knowledge and how it is obligatory upon the movement to seek knowledge. I mean, I mean. I mean. You know? And I mean, young people today, their they eyes are on this podcast, not postcard, but, you know, on the <laughs> on TikTok and and YouTube, the iPhone, you know, and I mean, and I tell my daughter, don't don't let your daughter watch this iPhone. She's two and a half sometimes and she gets so addicted to some of these Things on YouTube, you know. Mm. You know, they asked Steve Jobs, who was the inventor, who invented the iPhone. Yes. So what do your children think about the latest iPhone? He said they don't have an iPhone. It's a waste of time, and uh, I mean, they don't seek true knowledge. You yes. Know? Tyler, I, this is, what I, this is what, the, I, this hey. what I
0: do with the kids. I say, okay, no problems. Get on TikTok. Get on that. Do, do your do your scrolling, but after that hour, I went to say, what did you get out of that hour? Mm. And Subhanallah, absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And, and, that's the, and that's when they start recognizing that all they're doing is just getting an endorphin kick. They're not getting quite, they, they think they're getting
1: knowledge, but they're not because they can't remember any of it because it's just. Well, the, the old people had a lot of wisdom in it. It is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it my is. grandmother, my mom's mom, was a great healer, you know. Whenever we had sickness or when I had the dysentery, the only one that really healed me was her. I went to her and she eventually got the diarrhea under control. Allah you Allah know, with Allah. the homemade remedies. The doctors couldn't do that. So, so you know the old people had a lot of intuitive healing <laughs> they, knew, they knew the herbs. Subhanallah so, so. like there's something
0: that we we deal with here works. So Hanallah, that I've personally dealt with is that I noticed a lot of we we get a lot of young young staff that work for us and a lot of them having anxiety issues or stress issues. And subhanallah so one thing I tell them which is like this, this sort of a three stage process that I tell them to do which have a lot more fiber in their stomach because I noticed like a lot of them when I ask them what do yeah. they eat they don't. They don't have fiber. Not, <coughs> not, it's, it's amazing. Like they only chicken. They only eat chips, uh, starch, proteins, highly processed, hi, food. highly processed food. But they're not. They're lacking the fiber. Like I don't know how many people are. They don't drink water. They don't drink water. So I tell them just have a high fiber diet, and Subhanallah, also do some exercise, and uh, get good sleep patterns. And Subhanallah, how many staff that I've personally dealt with in our business that are. Improved So much more improved Purely just from good sleep
1: <clears throat> a Good fiber diet Very important yeah, Subhanallah You know the modern science Has shown that That the good diet Affects the quality Of bacteria in your gut And the gut Is highly connected To the brain There is the brain Gut axis Wow So your, 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 your the, the, the good bacteria Are what promotes Good thoughts in your mind Allah You know we have more bacteria In our thinking and our cognition And all is through the quality of our bacteria in the gut, and that is determined by the diet. There you go. That amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah there's, there's, look, everything is connected.
2: Allah. Everything is linked. Can I can I ask a question? Just want to go back. Obviously, because um, you're alhamdulillah, mashallah, you can tell you're a spiritual person and you're a God fearing person. <laughs> sure, no. I just want to ha, how how did that transition take place in the US? Obviously, now you're 20. You know, I, I really want to take. I want to. I want to know the story about yourself. Obviously, you <clears throat> met uh, somebody from Darul Ulum, uh, you know Tablighi Brothers. Can you take us just a bit touch base on on your journey in in the Deen and your yeah, spiritual? From-
1: I mean, look, when I st- at that stage in my life, I had absolutely no clue what Islam was. I mean, I had a, I had remnants knowledge that there was the Prophet and he made this journey from Mecca to Medina and hid in a cave. I didn't know the being the, 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 who was this Prophet ﷺ, <inaudible> you <know? inaudible> and uh, this man who I met, he was, he told me that look, if you want to connect to Allah, you have to know the being of Rasulullah <inaudible> <inaudible> Wasallam. <What> was <inaudible> his character, <inaudible> you know, and and I think the first book I read on the Sirah was a book by Martin Lynx. Martin Lynx was a, a British man who was a keeper of ancient knowledge in the British Museum and uh, he converted to islam Allah. through through to the to the, the sufi path but he wrote a book called on the sira of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam which is considered a masterpiece what's it called it's called the life of the prophet sallallahu by martin Lynx. martin Lynx. You know, Yasir Qadi, when he did, the, used, recently he did a seerah on the Prophet. Right? Yes, yes, I don't yes. know if you watch that. Too yes, mashallah. And there's yeah, a lot of brothers 20 of watch. them. Yeah, mashallah. And I watched that and he was he did a very good job. So you look at Martin Link, there's a book, yeah. Yes,
2: yes, yes, mashallah.
1: Yeah. Based on the 8th, 9th century Arabic yeah, description. Muhammad, his life, page, yeah, yeah, that's the book. That's a yeah. book by Martin Link's. So, so that, that his life was... life based on earlier sources. That's a seerah. And Qasir. I mean, Yasir mentioned this book in his talks on the seerah oh, Ah, And he said this was a masterpiece. Wow. Except there were a few, you know, things that he had overemphasized which he shouldn't have, okay. you know, but this book is considered a masterpiece <laughs> On The seerah of the Prophet. Normally
0: I've I've read the Sealed Nectar. That's one <coughs> of the one of my pa- personal pathways was the Sealed Nectar of Rasulullah. Yeah, and I I found that amazing. It yeah, well, just remind me who was that? The Sealed Nectar That's was, the one that, was the one that was the one that was a, was like a prize-winning which is which is the Prophet Al uh Sira, But that was sort of awarded by I think Saudi Arabia for the best they, they Sira. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's right. yeah. So it's got a very diverse range. It gives you all perspectives. <clears throat> mm-hmm. yeah. 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 yeah.
1: And this this Martin Lynx has written some very other very other books oh, too Allah. that are amazing. He's really, right now I'm reading a book which is called Archetypes and Symbolism and you know, Symbolism in Islam. I mean, it's really a masterpiece, you know. No. So now you've got the, the CRI.
2: it's opened up your heart. Oh. Take us
1: through the journey. So when I connected to the Prophet the next thing was the Quran. Allah. I didn't, I mean, I could read it in English, but immediately when I started practicing Islam, I went for Umrah. Immediately? Yeah, immediately. That was in 1980. and From the U.S.? From the U.S. And well, at that time, things were very ancient in Mecca and Medina. Yeah. You know, the mosque was very old. And the Haram Sharif was very old. So you got to see all the, a, special, see the old and new. And it has a special flavour about it, you know. Oh. It was like very family only but I was thinking, you know, these Saudis, they have so much of money. Why don't they renovate, you know? <laughs> <laughs> now they've over renovated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Be I careful remember, what you wish for. Wallah, <laughs> it was amazing. Pharma. You know, and I went and made Umrah and it was like what a what an experience at the Kaaba you know touching yeah. the Kaaba and kissing the black stone well it was uh like a rejuvenation, a reawakening, I would say. profound you know. moment in your life. Yeah, and then I took the bus from Mecca to Medina. Wow. Oh, people can't believe it. That time there was a dirt road, which <laughs> had to go through all these ravines in the rivers. Yes, yes. It took 11 yes. hours to go. You know, yes. now it takes two hours by train. Yeah. And it was a dusty journey, and it was, you know, no air conditioned bus. But and when we got into Medina, the uh, from the bus station, I took a taxi, and I told him, Take me to the mosque of the Prophet. Took me to the street and he just said, There's the mosque. And the mosque at that time was a small structure, you know, with all these tents like uh, around it. It was very primitive. I don't know if you've been uh, that time. We have. So I've, I've actually had the no, privilege of going
2: and seeing the museum because there's a Turkish museum there and a Saudi museum. And
1: they showed us the before and after, which a lot of people forget. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look. And it was interesting. I, and uh, whoever I met along the road up there, you know, in Mecca and Medina, they were. I found them to be very kind hearted you know but every one of them told me you should learn arabic wow that was advice you a should learn you arabic me- yeah all of them I remember I met a professor on the going on the plane from mecca from medina to mecca to jeddah and he was a professor of arabic from sudan university and he told me very important you learn arabic and i was thinking you know i was a bit uh, self assuming i suppose and i said You know, what's the point of learning Arabic? I can read the Quran in English, you know. Yeah, and you know, I'm reading it in English, but... Very important to play different substances. I think anybody yeah, right. who starts this journey should learn Arabic, you know. Mashallah, great advice, it is oh, absolutely fantastic. and you will learn to the
2: 50 too. Say. Yeah, 59. I 59, went, to, Subhanallah. went to
1: Beirut, Subhanallah. Aub. it's never too late, guys. Never and, too and late, and never going, it never stops, you know. I mean, so, Arabic, so, you're still a student these days. Oh, listen, we die a student, inshallah. You know, inshallah. you could never. I mean, you know, the knowledges of Allah are infinite, yeah? Amen. And if you say, Allah says in like Surah Kaf you read today, if all the oceans were ink and, you know, you you try to transcript the knowledge of Allah, that's only the beginning, you know? Amen. Allah barik. It. It's a wonderful journey. Thank you for sharing uh, your beautiful story.
0: Amen. And you. your journey. mashallah it's quite inspiring to see uh, your journey of uh, apartheid and uh, Dublin, America,
1: <laughs> thank you, Australia,
0: Lebanon, Africa, getting getting shot, <laughs> like oh. it's, it's a colorful, it's quite a colorful life, Mashallah, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the, also the the journey of healing, 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 Allah Akbar, like healing yeah, yourself and healing others along the way. Away, yeah, you know?
1: look, when I I found my remedy, it was amazing. I found it in homeopathy. I I, I say it openly, you know, and I was. Uh, in a conference, I remember, in homeopathy with this Greek teacher, one of the stu- my co-students, their colleagues, the Jewish, his name was Jeff Baker, you know. Jeff came up to me and we started talking and I was telling him what my... He said, why don't you come and see me? Maybe I can help you, you know. he was. He was and, and then you were like full on, full-blown doctor then? Yeah, yeah. I was in 1997 <laughs> that time. Oh. And, uh, Come see I, me. This
0: time I was studying home. Did you say him. to him, oh my God, I'm a doctor, what do you mean? <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: and I went and seen him and he, voila, he found my constitutional remedy. And it was an amazing remedy, you know. It opened up, oh, brought me, I felt so vital again, you know. All'ab- 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 I- and You know, I mean, it was, uh, once you get the right constitutional remedy. Okay, we're coming like, to see you next week. <laughs> 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 can you make an appointment? <laughs>
0: Inshallah. Allahumma Na- al- bari. May t- Allah al- ba- al- al- bless you. And, and Thank you very thank you much for b- inviting me. H- ta- al- thank bal- you for sharing. I hope we can be an inspiration to some young people. Normally we end the podcast with an I am statement. So what would your I am statement
1: be? Oh, I don't know. I used to say I am from Allah, and you know, the journey never ends. You know, inshallah. I mean, this is just the beginning. Our this this sojourn in this world is just the beginning to a greater uh, realm. You know, and I, I, I saw I am a healer. <laughs> I am a healer. Yes, <laughs> that's what I would say. I mean, Inshallah, I, that would be a privilege. That would that now would that would be the proudest moment if I am known to be a healer. You know. Inshallah. And uh, may you know we strive for that. But I love it. I, but
0: I, I love it. Like I, I personally, I got. The, I am a healer yeah, of myself yeah. and others. And, and our beloved, <laughs> our, our, our <laughs> beloved, our sallallahu <laughs> was a healer. He was a in healer. All, he was a in, healer. Oh, in
2: wow. all all fronts. And that's wow. his, He's the best of healers and the best he of was, examples. Uh, and
1: and the Quran is a book of healing. I mean, I mean, mean, I, mean, I, mean I mean, that's what we forget. Shifa. That's what oh, we forget. MashaAllah, you
2: come with so many gamut of understanding. From Chinese medicine to Western medicine to the deen medicine, obviously. The and spirit. they all
1: confirm each other. Allah. All, there's, there's a strong collaboration between the de- But I'll give you a simple example, right? If you look at Chinese medicine, you look at the Sunnah of the Prophet He said, before you eat, you, you take a pinch of salt. Always start your meal with a pinch of salt. And the Chinese say that if you start your meal with a pinch of salt, it helps in the digestion. It, it, it uh, digests wow. the food much easier. Yeah. And the Prophet, he said, end it off with a pinch of salt. Allah. People don't do this Sunnah, but they should. Allahu should akbar. Always repeat a bit of salt there. Before you eat, you just put your finger in, put the salt on the tip of your tongue with your index finger and with bless you.
2: May Allah bless you Allah. and keep you around and uh, advise us even more inshallah
0: Insha'Allah. we'll see you next week for our appointment <laughs> <laughs> <Okay. Allahumma laughs> Allahumma you. thank you very much alhamdulillah.
1: Alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah it was such a pleasure to be here it's, it's a pleasure to meet you we're alhamdulillah.
0: Alhamdulillah. We so blessed alhamdulillah, to, yeah. to hear your story what a beautiful With, amazing you know, story. you know
2: one thing i want to touch base is obviously we we, we get to know you personally you know I, about an hour and a half of of conversation but wallah, subhanallah you know i want to take from this journey like doesn't matter how much obstacles that Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala puts in your way, how much difficulty, and yani, Subhanallah, your heart is so open to wanting khair. You, you know, a lot of people live in the moment of hatred and 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 despite and uh, you know, uh, Subhanallah, even after everything you've gone, you can
1: see that there's still the love of the of, of healing is is what you're all about. That's um, the main. That's how. That's what Allah put us on earth for. You know, everyone has a a different purpose of his creation, you know And uh, you have to define what's your purpose And do it with passion Mm -hmm. and love, you know That's the thing
0: Thank you very much I'd like to remind our audience uh, Subhanallah, mashallah We're getting amazing views uh, Huge views Subhanallah, our subscribe uh, is a bit lacking So please brothers and sisters uh, Press that subscribe button Uh, As it helps us, inshallah, to get out more. And as you know, the algorithm picks you up when you have more subscribers. Um, So we look forward to providing you more content, inshallah. We're keeping our word of providing a podcast a week, every Friday Mm at 3 p.m. Alhamdulillah. May Allah bless you and uh, make dua for us. Thank you very much. Thank you.